Pastor Harrison at Staff Devotions this past week shared a fable about frogs. It's a story that I want to share with you this morning. There once was several frogs, there were several frogs who lived together in a well. Every day they would enjoy the water, they would watch the rocks on the sides, and enjoy watching birds flying overhead. They watched the sun rise and set through the top of the well. But one day, a storm blew in, and another frog was thrown into the well. This frog had strange stories. He claimed that there were other animals in the world, turtles and fish, that there were things like sand and ground, that the world was so much bigger than these frogs could imagine. And so naturally, the frogs in the well took pity on him. He must be so confused and crazy from the storm. We'll help him out and teach him everything we know. Now, of course, like any good parable, the frogs remind us of ourselves, of our temptation to think that we already know everything we need to know, our temptation to be resistant to opening ourselves to new experiences. But today is Pentecost Sunday. Today we celebrate a new experience, the Holy Spirit coming to God's people. The Spirit is what the Apostle Paul calls the seal of our faith and our salvation. Maybe you, with your brokenness, with your shame, your bad experiences, and your pain, maybe you wonder if you really belong in the family of God. The Holy Spirit, Scripture says, seals, guarantees that you do, that you are welcome in the family of God. And so today we finish up our All In series, looking at the Holy Spirit. Throughout this series, we've looked at God's all-in love for His people, how each of us and all of us see and connect with different parts of God's perfect character how each of us and all of us are invited, along with everyone else, to return God's great love by going all in ourselves, in love for God, for one another, and for our world. This morning, we're looking at the Holy Spirit is within us as we consider the words of our text, which were read for us, putting on our new self. Still, though, I think we are resistant to Pentecost. I don't want to suggest that we don't believe that it happened. We don't, I'm not saying that we don't believe that the Holy Spirit really did come. Instead, I'm suggesting that our hearts have become hardened to the story. We can see the flags on the background behind me, or in a moment we'll see a map of all of the different places that God gathered people at Pentecost. But instead of being amazed at God's work and inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit, often we shrug it off and walk away. We could even leave a Pentecost service thinking to ourselves, well, it's got nothing to do with me. What what do I mean when I say that we are resistant to Pentecost? Well, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this same story, the story that Ian read for us earlier, ten times or more. 
If you came to faith in Jesus in the year 2000, then likely you've heard this story 20 times. Some of you in our congregation have heard the same story 50 times, even 60 times. It's because we are tempted to think that we already know it all, that our text warns God's people. Don't live as some who are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Then the NIV goes on in verse 18 and 19. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they pursue all these things. But actually, Paul uses language and a picture that all of us are, I'm sure, very familiar with. He says, having become calloused. You know what calluses are. Calluses are those hard buildups on our hands and other parts of our body from repetitive tasks, from repetition, so that the the skin hardens itself so that after 10 or 20 or 50 or 60 or 100 times swinging a hammer, it doesn't hurt. We don't feel it the way we did the first time. Calluses on our hands are a good thing, but calluses on our hearts are not. Paul is worried about our hardening hearts, the calluses that build up. And just as in the text that referenced the Spirit coming, what, as a, as a pillar of fire? That doesn't make any sense to us unless we know the Old Testament, right? That God led his people in a pillar of fire. In the same way, Paul uses the hardening of heart picture from the Old Testament, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the hardening of Saul's heart, the hardening of the Canaanites' heart, and later the hardening of Israelite, of the hearts of the Israelites. What does it mean to have a hard heart? Well, it means that we're no longer sensitive to the power and joy of the Holy Spirit. Instead, we're full of greed, eager to claim God's blessings for, for ourselves, for each one of us, but uninterested in giving Him the glory or submitting our full selves to God. Having a hard heart in one word is about selfishness. You do what you want to do. You're not interested in following the way of Jesus. A hard heart, in other words, is exactly the opposite of being all in. Yet it's where all of us were, Paul says, before the grace of God was given to us. So what does God want to teach us this Pentecost? Well, I don't want to suggest that everyone needs to be overcome when they open up the story of the Bible. Now, the Scripture doesn't always need to leave us to lead us to tears. The Bible is God's hand pointing out God to us. God at work in our world, God at work in history. So let's not just look at God's finger Let's look to where he's pointing today. As I prepared for Pentecost this Sunday, I noticed in myself what I'm calling a poverty of connection with others. Maybe you've noticed the same thing. Perhaps maybe there are some calluses on our hearts, things that make it harder for us to be sensitive to and and interact deeply with others and with God. I notice this when sometimes we're conversing, but not really dialoguing. 
In other words, we're, we're talking, right? We're speaking, but we're not really listening. We're just waiting for the other person to finish so that we can have our own voice heard. Sometimes we're not able to fully connect because the people that we're with are actually on the other side of a computer. Or other times we're in the same room, but we're still distracted by our technology, right? You ever see someone talk to you like this? It happens. Not usually up front, but... We are all the time experiencing a poverty of connection, a hardening of our hearts that keeps us from deeper intimacy with others and with God. Our days, many of us, are characterized by anxiety and fear, by paranoia and denial, even by conflict. In a word, our world is filled with chaos. But the God we worship meets us in chaos and says, what? Let there be light. God always meets us in chaos and always says, let there be light. That's the story of creation that many of us know, but it's also the story of Pentecost. You see, just as that pillar of fire came down at Pentecost and was a, was a callback, a reminder to God's presence with his people in the chaos of the Old Testament in fleeing Egypt, so also at Pentecost and today again, God's light shines. See, we miss this in our age of electricity and electric light, but in the biblical world, a fire was not just about heat. It was about light. And the light of the Spirit shone into the chaos of the first century world. Just imagine for a moment the light of the Holy Spirit shining into the chaos of your life, into the anxiety of your relationships, into the stress and exhaustion of your work and your school, into the paranoia about the future. How beautiful, how glorious it is for God's light to shine on us. For God's light to shine in us and through us to his world. Steve Hawthorne, who's the founder of a ministry called Waymakers, he says that not only do humans recognize splendor and excellence and beauty, we instinctively know that it has to be pointed out to others. That's why I've said to some of you that, and as I said last week, that if we want to follow Jesus, one of the things we need to do is find the thing that we love to do. Because when we're doing what we love to do, when we're experiencing glory and splendor and excellence, we instinctively point it out to others and invite others to join us. And he continues, he says, there's something deeply satisfying about celebrating someone or something of worth along with other people. Perhaps the only thing that we find more satisfying is to be the object of praise or celebration. We are formed with intrinsic yearning, a desire, an essential desiring to be named, recognized, to be loved. And this is how God has made us. The yearning for glory is the hunger that drives us. Now we've been talking about Pentecost this morning and the story, but what about our text? 
If it's true that the, the yearning for glory is the hunger that drives us, our text in Ephesians 4 begins by exhorting us, calling us to look at Christ as the most glorious, the most honorable one. Not only does Jesus have ascribed glory because of his position, that he was ascended into heaven and is reigning at the right hand of God, but Christ has also done honorable things, Paul says. He's given gifts to people. Jesus is a good Lord and benefactor for those who he cares for and for those who call him Lord. I wonder, have you experienced his care? Paul reminds us that Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the, sh- the shepherds and teachers, Christ gave these gifts to his people, quote, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Did you catch that? That different gifts are given to different people, and that only together can we attain to the full measure of Christ. Listen again to the Pentecost story in Acts And you can see all of these different nations on the screen behind me that that were gathered together. As I said before, Ian read the first part of the story in Acts. And after the Holy Spirit came in that pillar and and divided into tongues, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking just Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native languages? And these are not a list of languages, but of places. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, of Judah, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Isn't it amazing what God did at Pentecost? What happened at Pentecost was that God poured out His Spirit on His people, gathered from all over the known world. But then, and I don't want you to miss this, then all those people went home. That's really important to know. You see, often we think of Pentecost as a local event, but Pentecost was a hub for a global movement. Acts tells us that 3,000 people were saved that day, and many of us, in our Western minds anyway, immediately imagine that a congregation of 3,000 people was formed, the first megachurch. But that's not what happened. These people went home. And they went home, as I say to you each week, the Holy Spirit went with them. There was not a congregation of 3,000 people. Instead, a few went back to the hills of Cappadocia. Three or four went back down to the wadi of Egypt. An extended family of a few dozen got on the boat and, and headed back toward Italy and Rome. They all went home. And with them went the Holy Spirit. 
filling them with the knowledge of the love of God, revealing himself to them, and in being invited and infused into their practices, their habits, their everyday life. As I said last week, what they loved, they gave their time to. What they gave their time to built habits. Those habits formed their character and their character defined them. Everywhere, all over the known world, this happened. And everywhere, it happened differently. Such that around the world, people began to be defined by their love for God in different ways. Because each of the different places they lived, the different habits they had, the different ways their lives and cultures were organized. They all were filled with the Holy Spirit, each with different strengths and weaknesses, each in different places, and all with a different window into the fullness of Christ. Now fast forward a few thousand years and wonder with me what God is doing today. This is a picture, another picture of River Park Church. All the flags on that first all-in slide I put and gathered together on the map behind me. 20 different nations that have God has gathered together here in Calgary and, and at River Park Church. And I desperately hope, but I am worried a little bit, that I've missed some. What is God doing today? gathering His people, His Spirit-filled people from all over the world, gathering us together in Calgary and at River Park Church. See, we in the West have become calloused. Those, of, those who are outside the church are not quickly drawn to the church. Those of us within the church have become calloused as well. It's easy for us to go through the motions we don't often expect to feel anything new or different. We know the contours of our faith. We're comfortable with what our walls look like. Our calluses help us to remain comfortable and unchanged, to feel safe. The callousness is the character of decline. And the church in the West is far into our decline. Not River Park in particular, but the church in general. We have thick calluses. What is God doing? Brothers and sisters, God is bringing the fullness of His church together. Even just at River Park Church, God is bringing together people from more than 20 countries on five continents all around the world. Brothers and sisters, let's not make the mistake of the frogs. Let's not think that God has brought his people here in the midst of life's storms in order to be filled with the Spirit. Or worse, in order to be filled with the knowledge that I have or that each of us as individuals have. All of God's people have already been filled with the Holy Spirit. And into the decline of the church in the West, God has brought his people from all over the world to teach one another to partner together, to reveal to one another a fuller picture of Christ and a new age of spirit-filled life together and ministry together. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is moving today 
building a new family where all of God's people can love and be loved. Experience the honor and the joy of God's family and of God's all in love. You see, we don't need another Pentecost. We need to see what God is doing today. He's bringing His Spirit-filled people together. People who see different parts and pieces of God's character and embody different parts of God's family. God is bringing us all together to know more of Him, to experience more of His love, and to share that love with one another and with our world. We should be envied more than all people and also humbled more than all people because God is doing it here. He's doing it not just in Calgary, but at River Park Church. He's opening us away for, uh, opening up a way for us to see Him and know Him more fully, even as we are all built up together. The new self that Paul calls us and this Holy Spirit calls us to put on is not an individual self that we work on in isolation from others. The new self is one part of a diverse family of God's people, gathered from every corner of the world. It's a new self that begins to look more and more like the church of heaven. So as we close this morning, I invite you to meditate in prayer. Do you want to see the light of God shining into the chaos of your life? Ask Him to show you His light. Paul says that the Holy Spirit was given so that we could grow in every aspect, in every respect to become more like Christ and so that we be united together as one body. When we see the gospel anew, our calloused hearts feel again. We love God more fully. We serve one another more joyfully. Do you want to see the light of God? Do you want to go all in? As we close, I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. I'm going to lead us in prayer for just a minute, and then I'm going to leave about 30 seconds. And I know this isn't the practice at River Park Church. We're going to try something new today, and I know it'll be a little bit scary for all of you. But I'm going to invite you to pray out loud during that prayer for about 30 seconds. You can pray as loud as you want or as soft as you want. And if we all do this together, you can be confident that nobody's going to be listening to your prayer, right? Because we're all just bringing it to God together. And I would also encourage you to do it in your heart language. All of us here can speak English, but English is not our heart language for all of us. And so I invite you, uh, as, we, as we gather in prayer, to, to boldly ask God in whatever way, in whatever particular place, or whatever place or area is particular to you, Ask God for his light to shine on the darkness and the chaos of your world. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in your life. Let's come, and come to God in prayer. Oh, Father God, keep us from the pride of the frogs who in our little corner of the world think we know everything. You have invited us into the grand story of your love for your people. A story that begins with the words, let there be light. And that continues throughout history, in the Old Testament and the New. 
to your people in the wilderness, to your disciples at Pentecost, to your disciples today at River Park Church, Lord, again, you say to us, let there be light. God, we invite the light of your presence into our hearts. Spirit, you promise that you intercede for us with groans that words cannot express. So, Father, hear our words this morning. Give us the confidence to speak them boldly aloud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Father, show us your light this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.